We begin today as we ended yesterday with one of Akhmatova's most renowned poems, A land not mine, still forever memorable, the waters of its ocean chill and fresh. Sand on the bottom whiter than chalk, and the air drunk like wine. Late sun lays bare the rosy limbs of the pine trees. Sunset in the ethereal waves. I cannot tell if the day is ending, or the world, or if the secret of secrets is inside me again. And as I noted yesterday, this is <clears throat> translated by Jane Kenyon from the Russian. It's from a volume which John bought for me years ago called Women in Praise of the Sacred, edited by Jane Hirschfeld. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. The Feminine. Each one of us is conceived within and born of a mother, physically or through science, within a laboratory and a test tube and then placed in the womb of a mother, held, hopefully, by the physical father or the surrogate father or the grandfather or the uncle or the brother. So we have a place where and we exist, yet within the mother, the womb and heart and soul, and physical cells of the mother, and then out through space and time, her breath out into the atmosphere of the earth around us, with our father hopefully beside us. But let us say that some father is there in prayer and practice beside you, whether the late Father Keating, a quiet rabbi praying for world peace, a devout Muslim, a Jain, a Buddhist, a communist, an atheist. Someone whom we theologize, name as part of a theology of God, and yet even the word of how he or she conceptualizes the divine is really only trying to translate what is in the heart and soul of that man's aspiration for you as a baby conceived and held safely and truly to birth, first breath, every breath of your life until your last breath. So we'll turn to Father a little bit later in this sequence of classes. But I spoke of Brodsky yesterday, and let us acknowledge something I've spoken of many times, which is when Yosef was under deep questioning with the threat of being lobotomized and placed forever in an institution, medicated and isolated, or threatened with death, uh, threatened with exile, which he actually underwent, <clears throat> although it was a beautiful exile in a forest cabin in Siberia, where he spent four very beautiful maturing years as a poet and a human being. But before this occurred, there was the threat and the fear in people all around him. What if they do this to you? What if they do that to you? And so very famously, as he entered the courtroom, 
he was asked as a person who was considered a degenerate you are a degenerate poet worthless where do you think this poetry comes from and without taking a breath he remembered he didn't even take a breath in he just said from god and then he realized i've 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 done it i've just said it he could not not say that it simply poured out of him of heaven on earth this man whom i love so dearly and truly his heart and soul and breath and cells through himself, through his physical mother and his physical father, his ancestry, through Russia, through the earth, through all of humankind, answered the judge, answered the court. With the one word that was not to be said, He was trying to name the state of existence for him, which was real and true. He was trying to name this, the bird song, which was the signature I knew so deeply in Brodsky, who remains like a protective figure in my heart and soul every day of my life. I was a very young woman when I met him. I was not his student. The quality of how we meet and know to turn to something beyond all warfare and harm in one another, the translation of that is heaven on earth for which we are responsible if we awaken deeply enough and love deeply enough. Let us find that state of being. When Brodsky met Akhmatova on a trolley in St. Petersburg, the meeting called forward the same resonance with the divine. Something beyond our capacity to say in words, yet which the two of them as poets and as a mentor and student, try to say in words all of their lives. We all know that that possibility, the hoped pregnancy of that divine state within us. In Hinduism and certain other forms of South Asian tradition, there is a concept called the divine feminine or the divine mother often. It, it really exists in divine mother, sister, daughter, lover, spouse, friend, colleague. And we are bowing to that in-breath and to the vowel, that which is left unsaid in Judaism because we can't breathe it when we pay attention to the Holy of Holies. It's just within the sanctified breath that is the divine. So we turn to that direction, the holiness which we really can't say in Judaism, and yet in other traditions we try to say it. So in, in Hinduism and in that aspect of the South Asian tradition, we say, oh, I call upon the divine feminine. 
that which was in the heart and soul and womb of my mother, bless her, and her mother, and my father's mother, and their mother, and their mother, and their mother. And we go back to the Adya Shakti, the primordial first mother, first daughter, first wife, first sister. How might heaven have moved through them that we could study now to become their relations, part of that holy family of heaven on earth? And when we turn in this direction, we start to seek a primal quality that is the seed or bija, the jeweled seed of the human soul on earth in a physical form. Ah, the human being, the feminine part within us all, babe, child, girl, boy, person, into maturity, all the way through one's life. The root prayer for that, where we bring forward the substance of a consonant and vowel, is shreem, shreem. We call upon that sound. Many prayers, called mantram, phrases of the divine, arise from that sound. So I spoke of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the founder of Transcendental Meditation, utilizing these primal sounds that go way back 5,000 years into the Vedas. The Rishi, the seer, who became sage, imparting to humankind the wisdom of heaven, would utilize a primal sound and then into a word and a phrase that one might seek that light and then that sound and become like the songbirds Maharishi was listening to every dawn. Ah, the energy of this day is slightly different than yesterday. Here comes the bird song just before the dark turns to light of the new day. Hence, eternity in our heart of hearts meets the current moment and the relationship between eternity and that dawn or that dusk is holy. And we are responsible to translate that through the willing cells of our incarnation to become that human being of Divine Mother, of Sacred Father, upon this earth, every moment we are to live without fear, as best we are able, embodying principles beyond all argument, beyond all warfare. Then what occurs is our study of time allows a direction beyond all weapons. So once again, at this time upon the earth with many whales leaving, many polar bears leaving, many human beings actually leaving, who we aren't speaking of with significance in the press, <clears throat> maybe because of our denial of climate change. We, we rage about not causing a big carbon footprint or not utilizing too much of the resources of the earth. 
we have many articles about this, very few about the famine in Yemen and how many people died there this past month or in Madagascar. I think they're not famous enough. They're not on my Instagram account. They're not on your Facebook page with personal references. I don't mean that as a criticism. It's just the evidence in our society selling things is not selling very much about the people starving in Eritrea, Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya. But every day I receive notes <clears throat> about situations in some of these regions of the world where someone's father has died, the family unable to reach them to bring them into Kenya before the famine became too deep. He quietly dies, not having eaten in nine days. That man is very real to me, Simon's father. Simon changed my life. I changed his and his wife's, their daughter, their son, their grandchildren. May that man rest in the infinite peace of the Creator everywhere and always. I'm not afraid of his death. I am noting that his death is part of climate change and how it is afflicting us all as we argue and argue and argue. If there's not enough salmon in the Yukon, people will have to migrate. How shall we respond? If the seas wash away parts of the shores, our cities from Miami to Venice to New York to Shanghai will fall away. Where shall we go? Well, in our heart of hearts and our souls and the cells of our bodies, into eternity, in Brodsky's God, within this next breath and the next breath, or we could call it Yahweh, Allah, Thought. We go to a primordial source, self-evident every moment, in the heavens and all around us, and within our very center of our being, our soul and heart, breathing to embody in ourselves responsibly the pathway forward beyond all warfare. How long shall the human being exist? In what way shall Brodsky's next moment and the late Akhmatova, Brodsky also died some years ago. Brodsky, Akhmatova, where shall they be? How shall the purpose they set on the earth through the song of their poetry, the light and sound of that song go forward? In the writing of a poet, <clears throat> There is often silence. Many poets enjoy sitting, and I'm sure lyricists who are songwriters enjoy a similar mood in the poetry of their lyrics. Many times they'll sit quietly and the words will come of a lyric. And they are receiving that in a perception of feeling, not so much hearing, but feeling. 
And in the poet, they may simply be aware of that lyric, that poet, that line of a poem or stanza, or they may write it down, or they may speak it at a poetry reading or read aloud from a book of their work. And a person who is a musician will take that lyric and be inspired to put it to song, bring the sound forward, so that in the musician, light and sound come together. They're like the great birds of the human race, showing us the poetry, this moment, this day, when I compose this song, when she wrote that song or he wrote this one, and let me sing it for you. And so we have these songs that resonate through our minds, our emotions, the sentiments of our memories. And this gives us a courage that is beyond all warfare. What should the song of one's life be from conception to death that is one song of the holy, from the holy to the holy, through the humility and dignity of your ordinary human life or mine. We together then form a harmonic, and this is the human civilization. So we have the sound <clears throat> stream of the sacred feminine, and there are many mantra bijas of primordial root sounds we could go to, and the, the figures that are drawn over time, Saraswati, the goddess of wisdom, Durga, she who would be coming forward in the work of life and family and duty and purpose. Lakshmi, music, education, intelligence, understanding. And we find several instruments that are placed upon the drawings and figures and philosophical concepts that bring forward these principles of the feminine in Hinduism. And so one of them is the conch shell, or sometimes said conch in the West. The conch shell, and she's calling out, blowing on that, calling out a primordial sound beyond all words. The sea of wisdom. From the breath of heaven, in that aspect of a divine daughter, or sister, or beloved showing us the way. Another of the implements of these aspects of the feminine, in the womb of every mother, in the cells of every child, including you and me, is the concept of a wheel. It's often drawn as if it were on a finger of one of these aspects of the sacred in the feminine. And the eternity is spinning. The wheel of time is spinning on the finger of that which is the feminine principle. Oh, through the womb of my mother and yours, eternity is present. So that when I am dedicated enough in my alignment and my intention of practice toward virtue, I feel in my next breath from my heart and soul into all my cells this moment I am to embody eternity. Oh, the great ecstatic grace and ordinariness of this next moment of life, beyond all argument, your path and mine. And when that meets in us, 
That is birdsong. That is the poetry of the spheres or the heavens. This is at the very center of the relationship Akhmatova and Brodsky shared, or Brodsky and I also shared. Let me read to you from something Akhmatova translated, because not only was she a great poet, she translated from, I think, six languages, including Korean. So people will think, oh, I thought she was a Russian poet. I go, well, she did write poetry in Russian. She was Ukrainian and Russian. So if that person asks me, well, what nation is she from? I say, both. Great poetess, translator of heaven on earth, daughter of peace. This is from the poem, The Wanderer, by the Roman, I'm sorry, by the Romanian Alexandru Toma. Each time a guest arrives outside your tent, meet him with kindness. Give him bread and salt and save him pain. Pour water on his wounds. But do not ever dare to question him or ask where he is bound for once he comes. She translated another poem. These are just segments of the poems. By Peretz Markish. The leaves here whisper, not in unexplained alarm, but hunch themselves, lie still, and dream in autumn's gale. Though one awakes from sleep and trails off down the road, a golden mouse that seeks the shelter of its hole. She is turning to the way in which light and sound moved as birdsong through other poets and translating them from their languages into English and then here, <clears throat> here in English, but she often translated them into Russian. So this quality, when we meet another human being, tends to cause us when we are not into the poetics of the day or the bird song of the day, we tend to say, who are you, stranger? What do you mean? What are you doing? You who are different from me. Where do you come from? From what part of the world do you arise? Where are you bound for? And we tend to set up a duality of that being versus oneself, you versus me, blue dress versus green dress, or bow tie versus casual shirt. And we tend to value one more than the other, rather than translating, what does eternity mean in you and in me, from this last breath to this current state between the breaths, so that as we each breathe forward, we breathe in birdsong. Oh, translating heaven to earth, beyond all argument, beyond all war. How did we not know to do this? This which is the human path. It's not really that hard. It's really more appropriately that we are not 
taught that this is safe, that where you come from through the cells of your mother and where I come from, the cells of mine, and where Brodsky and Akhmatova came from and the cells of their mothers is really the same place. Seeking God, seeking the universe and the heart and soul so that we might be present within ourselves every moment. If I go to the fields of the Lord after Brodsky's death and after Akhmatova's death, he's buried on the island where the dead are buried in Venice. It's an island that's several miles from Venice proper. I've gone by it in a boat before, but never set foot on the island. Brodsky's buried there. Akhmatova's buried north of St. Petersburg, as I spoke yesterday. Their graves are undefiled, undisturbed. The poetry of eternity is moving through the autumn leaves in both of those places on this day. Birdsong arises from the trees above them. Flowers are left at their graves and those of others. We remember without fear the great harmonic they sought to translate from heaven to earth to each other to their loved ones. As our next breath moves willingly into the poetry of our pathways upon this earth beyond all warfare representing what the Hopi call the great peace. At this time, eternity here moving upon the earth. The first lyric of Sandy Denny's Who Knows Where the Time Goes. Across the evening sky, all the birds are leaving, but how can they know it's time for them to go? Before the winter fire, I will still be dreaming. I have no thought of time. For who knows where the time goes? Who knows where the time goes?